Open God's words, if you would, with me to the book of Acts, chapter 22. We're getting there. I promise we won't make it before Christmas, but we're getting there. I have to go back and look at my notes, see how long we've been in Acts. It's got to be getting close to two years. There's a lot there. A lot here. Last week's sermon title was, God Did Not Permit It. You see what today's is? God permitted it. Oh, what are you talking about, Pastor? You talking out of both sides of your mouth, or are you just trying to confuse us? Have I succeeded? I, I mean, not trying to talk out of both sides of my mouth. Okay. Um, I, I, I know Don's laughing, so it must be something Marty said. We'll blame Marty. You want to share that with everybody, Marty? Or? Okay, that's fine. No problem. <laughs> Must have been pretty bad. because, Anyhow, last week we looked at uh, chapter 21, verses 27 to 40. God didn't permit it. What didn't he permit? We'd been talking about Paul coming back from his third missionary trip. He comes to Jerusalem. Am I not on? I'm on? You got, okay. Okay. I was getting looks from different parts of the auditorium, and then I saw you looking over at the board and just, everything's just checking. Okay. All right. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, Paul just getting back to Jerusalem. He, he comes to the church. He gives the offerings to, to James. And then James says, we got a problem here, man. He said, these, these Jews here that are still tied to the law, which they shouldn't be, but I've allowed them to be because I haven't taught them the truth and, and, and told them to get off the law and get on to the, to the scriptures of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But they've heard that you've gone and you're telling Jews uh, out there in Philippi and Thessalonica, Berea, Athens and Corinth and Ephesus, he says, word's gotten back here that you're telling them they don't have to live according to the law. And the people back here don't like hearing that. He said, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to fix it so that you look okay to the guys locally here. Because it could be a problem. There could be trouble in Dodge City here. I mean Jerusalem, excuse me. We, we could have trouble. So this is what we're going to do. You're going to pay for the sacrifice for these four guys that made a vow. You're going to pay for them to get their hair cut, and then you're going to pay for them to offer their sacrifices in a week. And Paul says, well, okay, we don't want trouble in River City. I mean, I mean Jerusalem. We, we don't want trouble here. So, so, okay, I'll do it. Now, what's going to happen back in Ephesus and Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Athens and Corinth, when word gets back that Paul is back in Jerusalem offering sacrifices on the altar that he said is done away with because we know that Jesus fulfilled the and he fulfilled the and he fulfilled we know that Jesus fulfilled those things and so what, what are you doing messing with them? James in Jerusalem, you got to tell the Jews there that the temple is done away with. The law is fulfilled. It's not done away with, it's fulfilled. It's completed. 
So what, what's going to happen back there when all the, the people back there hear what you're doing here? Because you're doing it here because of what these guys heard that you were doing out there. Okay, and that brings me back to your talk talk and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Okay? So what, what are you doing, Paul? James, what are you doing? You're, you're, not, you're not following what Christ accomplished and what Christ told you is here. You're, you're stuck in those traditions. You're stuck in those ruts because, well, that's what we're used to. We've always done it that way, so we got to keep doing it that way. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. What they did was not pleasing to God. And it just goes to show you, I don't care if you're, you know, if you're on with scale with, with Paul or James. You're not perfect. And I think in, in several, again, I'll go back to my commentaries. I'll lean on them. They said, what is he doing? Why is he doing this? He shouldn't be doing it. He's doing it to appease people rather than to please God, which is what we ought to be about, is pleasing God, not appeasing people. So, and, and why last week's sermon was permitted, God, or was God did not permit it? Because in verse 27, Acts 21, 27, when the seven days were almost over, the Jews of Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up the multitude and laid hands on him. And then if you remember verse 30, they took hold of Paul. They wanted to murder him, okay, for what he was teaching. And then if you look down at 33, the commander, the Roman commander, took hold of him as well, but he was to preserve his life, not to take it. But because of this happening, God did not allow Paul to go through with the sacrifices in the temple. Now, it'd be real interesting. The Word doesn't tell us if those four guys that got their hair cut last week and finished their vows that followed through with or not. We don't know. We just know that Paul was not there to partake because he was being held in, in prison. So be careful. When, when, and I, I can't remember exactly what it was earlier this morning. I think Shelby said something. That, that you got to be careful. What did you say? you got to be careful what you tell God you won't do? Yeah. you got to be careful what you're going to tell God you won't do. you got to be careful what you're telling God you're going to do, too. Paul said, this is what we're going to do. And it wasn't according to God's plan. So God said, "Uh uh-uh, no, you're not going to do that. I'm going to put you in jail so you can't do it. Anybody ever got thrown in jail so that you wouldn't sin or you wouldn't do something you weren't supposed to do? My daughter got stopped last night by the cops because she's borrowing a friend's car. Cops are looking for her friend, not her. <laughs> who do you associate with? Who do you, who, what, do you, what do you do? Go with God's plan, not your own. Not what somebody is trying to pull you along and get you to do with them, okay? Stick with God's plan. You'll be better off. So now, uh, at the end there of, of chapter 21... Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, and he said, may I say something to you? The Roman commander said, oh, you know Greek? Because he could talk to the Roman commander in Greek. 
couple verses down, verse 40, when he had been given it, he, he asked the, the Roman commander for permission to speak to the crowd that wanted to kill him. And Paul, standing on the stairs, motioned to the people with his hand, and when there was a great hush, he spoke to them in the Hebrew dialect. I, I struggle with English. I don't even want to try another one. I, I tried French when we were in Belgium, and that didn't work well. They told me to come back for another two weeks of the Head Start class. <laughs> this man was gifted. He knew Greek, and he knows the Hebrew. And there's a very specific reason why he's going to speak to this group in Hebrew is because it's the language they understand, and if they know that he knows Hebrew, they know that he's not just some charlatan off trying to make a name for himself in the other part of the, country, in the, other part of the world. Then he comes back to Jerusalem thinking he's somebody. But it's interesting, at the end of verse 40, says, then there was a great hush. Sometimes it gets really quiet and you can hear a pin drop. Think of how quiet that is. Now look at the end of verse 2 of chapter 22, because he says, they became even more quiet. What's more quiet than being, a, being hushed? I don't know, it's being really hushed, I guess. But he spoke to them in the Hebrew dialect, and he, he, he wants to build a, a, um, a rapport with these people who, just at the end, the end of verse 36, were saying, away with him, away with him, kill him, get rid of him. He, he, and, well, that's, don't, don't steal the thunder from next week, but, but they say he doesn't deserve to be on this earth. Why is he here? He doesn't even deserve to be here because he's teaching wrong doctrine according to them, not according to God and God's word. But he wants to build a report of these people, and he starts by getting their attention and speaking in Hebrew, and, and there's a great quiet that comes over the, the people. And he starts with, with friendly, friendly uh, addresses them, friendly terms, brethren and fathers. Hear my defense, which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. And I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prison. He was an equal opportunity persecutor. He says, I was very zealous about what I was doing. I, I was, thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was doing a good thing. And these, this group of Christians that followed Jesus and were his disciples was known as the way because he, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me and not in that same passage, but Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is only by the name of Jesus that we have salvation. Dan mentioned one of the songs, in the Herseg letter, one of the songs they did was, what was it, Mercy? His mercy is great. And then, and then Shelby was singing that God is good. And it was like, man, right on. 
God is absolutely good. God is perfect. God is gracious, and he is so gracious to us that his mercy is great to us. Because without mercy, grace doesn't work. Without grace, mercy doesn't work. But he is good to us in his grace and in his mercy. But Paul is, Paul is sharing his testimony here. And it's, it's one of the, the five times in the scriptures that Paul's testimony is shared. Uh, it's it, Acts 9 when it actually happened, when he was on the road to Damascus. And the light shone and he was blinded. We'll get into that a little bit more as we read here. It's shown here in verse or chapter 22. It's in Acts 26 when he's giving another defense. This is his first of five defenses that we talked a couple weeks ago about his trials. And he's going to stand up and, and defend who he is and what he is and, and what he's all about. And he's all about Jesus Christ and sharing what God's grace does, did for him and what it will do for us. But next, uh, Acts 26, he'll be standing before Festus and Agrippa sharing his testimony. Philippians 3 uh, talks about what he trusted before he knew, knew Christ. And all of his confidence was in Christ. And, it's, and it's the, the, the testimony isn't as, as letter by letter spilled out as it is here in, in Acts. But it's, you, you can see the, in, in Philippians chapter 3 that it, where it, it fits in. He doesn't give all the details, but it, it fits in with the story and, and what God did and how God changed his heart. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 and 15, Christ came into the world to save sinners of which I am chief, Paul says to Timothy there. And it's the same as with Philippians. You've got to look a little bit harder for the pieces of his testimony, but it's very clearly what happened to his life right here is what he's explaining in, in those other passages. But he's sharing his, his testimony, what he witnessed, what God had done in his life. I, and again, back to verse uh, chapter 22, verse 4. I persecuted this way to the death. I, I wanted to stamp it out. I was killing them. I wanted to kill every one of them so that it wouldn't go on. Because what they were teaching, what he thought they were teaching was wrong. But he needed to have his eyes open to see the truth. Verse 5, also the high priests and all the council, the elders can testify from whom I received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those that were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. He was, he was going to go to Damascus and arrest and bring them back to throw them in jail and to, if he could, have them convicted in the, in the Jewish courts and if they could figure it out somehow to do it legally to, to murder them. Verse 6, it came about that as I was on my way approaching Damascus about noontime, a, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene. And at this point, help me out here, I'm thinking about Easter, you'll get what I'm saying he is risen. He is risen indeed. 
How, many say, how could Paul be an apostle? He didn't see Christ after the resurrection. He sure did, right here. Right here, he's seeing Jesus Christ. Jesus said to him, I am Jesus the Nazarene whom you are persecuting. Another example and an opportunity and privilege for us to say he is risen. You guys are slow. Let's try that again. He is risen. risen Indeed. Indeed. Amen and amen. Moving on. Verse 9, those who were with me beheld the light to be sure. They didn't understand the voice of the one who was speaking. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? Oh, wouldn't he like to hear that from every one of us? Every day. What shall I do, Lord? What shall I do? Hmm. <laughs> That's convicting. That's challenging. The Lord said to me, Arise, go into Damascus, and there you will be told of what has been appointed for you to do. But since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand of those who were with me and came into Damascus. And a certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there. And, and you'll notice that Paul is trying to, and if you compare this to, uh, to Acts chapter 9, there's, there's little nuances of difference because he knows the crowd that he's addressing and he knows the words that they will understand. They're, they're all about the law. And so he's reminding them. He was that Ananias, this man that came to him, was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there. He had a good reputation among the Jews, and if you had a good reputation among the Jews, then you must have been well versed in the law. And that's what these people are wanting to hear. He came to me and standing near to me said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time I looked up at him, and he said... The God of our fathers, again, he's trying to draw in uh, the, the history and, the, and who the people are so, so that they'll understand where he's coming from. He's, he's, he's trying to keep them listening to what he's saying. The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one. Turn briefly with me, if you would, to Isaiah 53. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 and 6. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Verse 11, as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. He will bear their iniquities. By his knowledge of the righteous one, he's obviously referring to Jesus Christ Christ. 
Back to Acts 22, verse 14. He said, God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one, who we just talked about in verse 8, that he saw Jesus. He didn't just hear the voice, he saw Jesus. And he allowed you to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth because you will be a witness for him by all men of what you have seen and heard. And, and we're, we're going to put that on pause, link, link verse, draw a line between verse 15 and 21, and when we get to 21, we'll come back to connect these two. But when he made that statement, I'm sure that some of the Jews in that, in that group were, were getting a little nervous. Because Paul says, for you will be a witness. Well, Ananias is saying this to Paul, but Paul is relaying this story to this, this group here in the temple. He says, for you will be a witness for him to all men. That meant all. That meant Jew and Gentile. And so the Jews, I'm sure there were some that started shifting in their seat and getting a little restless, and maybe that hush wasn't quite so quiet anymore. Because he, you will be a witness for him to all men that you have seen and heard. In verse 16, and now why do you delay? And this, this is this is what we we addressed one of these verses earlier in Acts. People, people will use this verse to say, see, you have to be baptized. To be, you have to have water baptism to be saved. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it to you, and in, in, in it's a matter of in the translation between the Greek and the English, we don't have as many words to describe things as the Greeks did. They had five words for love. We say love. Okay? This is one of those circumstances that the that the tense, the translators don't always translate the tenses properly. And I'm going to defer to a, a highly respected uh, Greek translator, okay, in, in the way that he translates this verse. And now, why, who, why do you delay having arisen, be baptized and wash away your sins, having previously called upon his name. That's the way that should be translated. Now, in, if we, if we they, they were trying to do a direct translation, and that's why the word structure is like it is. If we were to properly put that into English the way that we would do it without necessarily being concerned about the direct translation, it would, it would be better as having, a, having arisen and previously called upon his name be baptized and wash away your sins. The, 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 the baptism is not going to wash away your sins. We know that only the blood of Jesus does that. But by, by the symbol of the baptism is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ coming up out of that water. It's symbolic to show that your sins are washed away. But the water doesn't wash them away. It's only the blood of Jesus that washes our sins away. So he says, this is, again, this is what Ananias was telling Paul. 
And if, you go, if you'll compare this, if you take more time, which we don't have time to do right now, but com- go back and compare this to where he's talking, or where, yeah, where Ananias is talking to Paul in chapter 9 of Acts when it originally the event happened, and Luke is recording it, you, you will get and see that, uh, that the arise, the word arise there has to do with the resurrection. Uh, it, in, in, for Paul to arise, he had at that point accepted Christ because he was standing up from his sins. I'm not sure I'm saying it real well by the looks on your face. Go back and compare it with Acts 9 this afternoon, okay? Just know that water does not wash away your sins. It is the blood of Jesus is the only thing that will wash our sins away. In verse 17... When it came, and it came about that when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, several years go by here now between these uh, these occasions, because Paul or yeah, Paul stayed up in uh, Damascus in that area. Uh, they 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 don't know exact dates, but it's two two and a half maybe three years where he's where he's getting training from Ananias and other disciples up there to to try to untrain him from his legal ways and train him in, in the, the grace and mercy of God. He says, I was, when I came, returned to Jerusalem, was praying in the temple, I fell in a, into a trance, and I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves understood that in one synagogue after another I used to imprison and beat those that believed in you. And when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I was also standing by, approving and watching out for the cloaks of those who were slaying him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. If he was a comedian, you'd say that's what brought the house down. Because the house is going to come crashing down again. You know, that's the silence, the, the great hush, and the became even more quiet. That's gone. <laughs> that's gone. He, he, like I said, in verse 15, they started to get a little uneasy because he said, Ananias was telling them, you'll be a witness for him to all men. He didn't, say, he didn't use the word Gentiles, so he was still okay, kind of, maybe. They, they, they were, you know, scooching in their seats. But here, huh, he used the G word. <laughs> Shouldn't he use the G word? He said Gentiles. And then he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. You'll have to come back next week to find out what happens next. It's not peaceful. I was, you know, spoiler alert, I'll tell you that much. In this trial, he stands with confidence because he knows what Jesus Christ did for him. And I know I've shared this definition of confidence from Bill Gothard. Definition of confidence is how little I react when falsely accused. He could take confidence in the Word of God. He could take confidence in what God had done in his life. There was a 180. You want to talk about 180s? 
when he repented, and, and, then, he, and then he says, what shall I do, Lord? You want to talk about a 180? That was a 180 on a hairpin turn. He stood firm. He stood confident in what God had done in his life and what God, what Ananias told him he was to do and then he went and did and now he's telling these guys that he did it was to proclaim the gospel. He said, I went to the Gentiles and proclaimed, there's that G word again, and proclaimed the gospel. I did what I was told to do. I was obedient to God. And I stood firm close with a, a quote from Matthew Henry. Now, if they, referring to the Jews that were at the temple accusing Paul of preaching truth, <laughs> now if they would lay all this together, surely they would see that they had no reason to be angry with Paul for preaching among the Gentiles or construe it as an act of ill will to his own nation and countrymen. For he was compelled to do it, contrary to his own mind, by an overruling command of heaven. What shall I do, Lord? What shall I do? First of all, we need to be obedient. We need to do what he tells us to do in his word. We need to stand firm and, and, and stand and die by this right here. We don't need to appease man. We don't need to please people. Our goal and our focus and our eyes should be focused on him and his return. Don't forget, in the end of, end of Timothy we did that one a couple of years ago, several years ago now. Paul is telling Timothy, I'm going to receive a crown, and you can have it too. Every Christian can have that crown if they look forward to the coming of Jesus. How easy is that, people? knowing that we will get crowns to cast back at His feet, and they're not for our glory, not for us to run around wearing them in heaven, but to give them back to Him. But how easy is that one to earn to give back to Him? Is to just look forward to the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. Look, people, look. Be expectant, be waiting, be looking for it. Be wanting it. Be ready for it, and in wanting it, remember and understand that it's our responsibility in the meantime to share the gospel so that others will go too. Lord, what do you want me to do? What does he want you to do? Father, thank you for, again, for the testimony of Paul Thank you for his example of being obedient and preaching the word.
proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians, he said that, that he planted and Apollos watered, but it's only you that can give the increase, Father. It's only you that can change people's hearts. And we ask that you would work in ours. Make us willing and available to do what you want us to do, Lord. May we have that heart every day and that attitude to say, Lord, what do you want me to do today, right now, for the name of Jesus? Thank you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Remind